Hey everyone, welcome into the NKY Bracketology podcast. I'm Hunter, NKY Bracket Guy on Twitter. I'm joined with Michael and Zach today. Um, I'll start with just like a brief introduction. Um, that way you all get to know us a little bit. Um, I currently live in Covington, Kentucky. Um, I grew up in Eastern Kentucky. Um, my wife and I got into college basketball when we were both in college up here in the Cincinnati area. She went to Xavier. Um, we lived on like basically on their campus. We were able to get into a lot of those games cheaper when they were a one seed in 2017 and 18 last minute tickets got cheap um, or we would be on like a watch party on the campus. Um, we got to see some crazy games and my love for the sport that was already there just kind of like fostered and grew. Um, after they got the one seed, um, they changed coaches when Chris Mack went to Louisville. Um, I got into bracketology because Xavier was on the bubble. Um, wanted to see where they were at, started looking at metrics and different like methodologies for doing it. Um, when I really started looking into it, I wanted to project out myself. So I actually went through and did a bracket. Um, I've been doing brackets since 2018, 19. Um, I really started posting it um, last year when I started this page. Uh, just wanted to like kind of grow and see where I was wrong or what I could do better. Uh, it's grown more than I could have imagined. I had never expected to start a podcast or really gain any traction, but the page is growing a lot more than I was expecting. Um, so with that, my favorite two teams are Xavier and um, NKU, which is Northern Kentucky University. I went to Northern Kentucky. Um, like I said, wife went to Xavier. So that's pretty much me um, from that standpoint. I'm a registered nurse. Um, I spent three years in a cardiac ICU. I now work for uh, clinical research and have an eight to five in an office. Michael, all you. So yes, this is this is Michael Gross. I am Mike Zor, on Twitter. Um, I've been into college basketball probably since very late '90s into the early 2000s. Um, I and I mean I think I've been doing like um, brackets to like project who's going to you know win the NCAA tournament, all that stuff. Uh, probably since I was you know, a teenager and whatnot, but I think only in the last, I don't know, a few years have I really gotten into trying to like do like bubble watch, trying to see which teams are going to be in, which teams are going to be out in the past few years. Um, it's really interesting to go through all the uh, numbers and see, you know, which teams should, which teams shouldn't get in. And it's, it's a fun, you know, feature to go through. Um, as far as what I do for, for a living, uh, I work at a Julasco, uh, which is a local um, grocery store. Um, I re- last year I recently finished a, uh, top, a bachelor's degree at Northeastern University in Chicago, uh, with with a uh, bachelor's in communication, uh, media, and theater, with a minor in journalism. I'm currently looking into trying to find a sports writing job, so trying to further that along um i follow a lot of the local you know illinois teams that that are that are typically fairly 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 good that end up going to the NCAA tournament like illinois northwestern in the past couple years couple years loyola's run to the to the final four and then the sweet 16 a, a few years later was really fun to watch so that's what's kind of blossomed me more into this um I think the uh, when Illinois State got really close to the NCAA tournament in 2016-17, uh, 
was the first time that I even tried doing the uh, like bubble watch thing. But and I've learned a lot since then, so it's fun. Zach, hey everyone, I'm Zach Abbott. Um, Zach Abbott nineteen on Twitter. Um, I'm currently a weather forecaster living in a small town uh, called Portales in New Mexico. Uh, Eastern New Mexico University is about a quarter mile from from my house. Uh, they're a Division two school. Um, and yeah, I'm originally from Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, but I, I joined the Air Force and got sent out to, to Eastern New Mexico. Um, I've got I'm I'm married with two two young children, um, both daughters. Uh, they are uh, my wife's name is Courtney, and my daughters' names are Sybil and Natasha. Um, I got into college basketball back in 2013 when Michigan made a national championship game run in the NCAA tournament. Um, and a big thing that drew my attention to them was they played Syracuse in the final four. And my cousin was a freshman at Syracuse and he'd grown up a Michigan fan his whole life, but now he was rooting for Syracuse. So I was like, man, Michigan better win. And they did. And it was great. Um, and then I started doing, you know, I started filling out brackets in 2014. Uh, Warren Buffett offered a billion dollars to anyone who could create a perfect bracket. And I thought I could do that. I, I still haven't, obviously. Um, but as someone who loves data and working with numbers, and, and probabilities and statistics and things like that. The NCAA tournament has really kind of drawn me in. Um, it's almost like the ultimate puzzle to solve. Um, and I don't know that anyone ever will, but it's fun to try. And that's kind of led me to develop my own uh, predictive model um, that I've been really working on and um, enhancing over the last three or four years. So just to give you all a little bit of background on what we're planning to do with the podcast, um, we have a variety of different ideas and guests that have already like started to try like to mention if they'd like to come on for an episode or two. Um, so we will be bringing on some guests. There's several bracketologists I'm hoping to line up, especially when we get into February and March. Um, this will probably maintain as like a weekly podcast. Um, I may have some like individual bracketology episodes instead of writing some articles. I may just pop a podcast out here that's 10, 15 minutes where I go through the week and like what has happened or what we're looking at as we get close to March. Uh, but Zach, Michael, and I will keep this going pretty much every week. We haven't ironed out a complete exact date yet. We're going to try for Mondays right now, but that'll probably move to Tuesday or Wednesday um, here later in about a month or so.
Um, typical structure of the podcast is going to be, we're going to go through our top 25s. Um, so the top 25s, I'll get into those a little bit more in a second. Those came about, we started this at the beginning of the year this year. We had a lot of questions. So we started doing spaces uh, at that point we weren't able to really iron out of time that everybody could get on to ask their questions. So we decided we would put this into a podcast that way everybody could email us, DM, whatever, get their questions to us, and then we can answer all of them for everybody. Um, so we'll spend a good chunk of time talking about that. Um, we'll do some bracketology talk today. We'll probably be a little bit lighter, but as we move, especially into like February, March, it'll probably get a little bit heavier into brackets and what we're looking at. Um, and then we're going to have a Q&A, like a typical like podcast mailbag, where we just answer your all's questions and we just kind of like make sure that you all are um, getting as much out of this as possible. We're not making this for us. We're making it for you guys. So I want to keep that in mind. All right. So with our top 25s, I'll have this linked out here um, to the tweet that I put this out every week. Um, I'll go through our top 25s real quick, kind of give a background on mine and then let Michael and Zach talk about theirs. Um, so for my top 25, I have Purdue, Kansas, Houston, Kentucky, Tennessee, Arizona, Marquette, Illinois, UConn, and then Memphis at 10. Um, starting at 11, FAU, UNC, Clemson, Oklahoma, Wisconsin, Auburn, BYU, JMU, Baylor, and then San Diego State at 20. Uh, 21, Colorado State, Gonzaga, Providence, Creighton, and then Ole Miss. Um, right now, this week, the only movement that I'll probably have is Gonzaga moving down. Um, I treat mine more like an AP style top 25 than I do like a power ranking type of thing. Um, I have my seed list. That's not going to be the same as my top 25. For instance, Kentucky's a six seed in my bracket right now. There are four on my, um, or number four on my top 25. So don't compare them because they're not going to be the same. This is, I'm trying to emulate the AP poll and how I think movement should happen. Um, so Michael, I'll read yours and then let you explain it a little bit. Um, Michael has Purdue at number one, Kansas, Houston, Arizona, James Madison, uh, Clemson, Yukon, Memphis, Tennessee, Marquette at 10, Princeton, BYU, Baylor, Wisconsin, Illinois, FAU, Texas A&M, Grand Canyon, Virginia, and Colorado State at 20. 21 is Nevada, Creighton, UNC, Utah, and Ole Miss. Michael, if you want to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so I think Purdue is is pretty self-explanatory. Um, they have clearly the best resume in the country to this point. Um, what I try to do is, unlike a typical top twenty-five power ranking, is rank them more based on resumes and kind of like how if I was seeding the first twenty-five or so teams, how they would do so. So Purdue to me has the best resume. They have the Neutral court, neutral court wins in Maui over uh, Marquette, Tennessee, and also just beat Arizona not too long ago in the Indy Sports Classic. So those are the wins that propelled them to number one. Kansas at number two certainly hasn't always looked like the second best team in games where they are playing inferior opponents, but they do have important wins over Kentucky, UConn, Tennessee, to name a cup, to name a few, uh, and their only losses to Marquette. Houston coming in at number three with a highlighted by a win over Texas A and M. Couple other quadrant one wins. We'll see how they do in the Big Twelve. Um, 
They're undefeated so overall so far. See how that translates. Arizona at number four, having a really nice start to the season, only lost to Purdue. And they have the wins over Michigan State, Wisconsin, and Duke. James Madison is kind of an odd one. I've had them at num- I've had them way up high in the rankings ever since they won road games against Michigan State and Kent State to open the season. Uh, while I'm sure at some point they're going to get past, you know, I I I don't want to penalize them for not losing games, even though just just because other teams are winning them. If they win and if they lose, certainly they'll drop. But for and if other teams get bigger wins, they'll pass them. But for now, I'm keeping them high up in the rankings. At six is Clemson. They've kind of had an under under the radar kind of resume, but they've been very impressive with only the loss to Memphis and some quality wins along the way. Seven is UConn. They have a loss to Kansas. They lost on the road to uh, Seton Hall recently, but they have wins over Texas. Played Kansas very tough, and certainly the the biggest thing with them is if they is if they stay healthy, if they if they get everyone everyone back at full strength, you know by the time they get to the NCAA tournament, certainly they have a chance to repeat. Next is is Memphis, they're another team with an under the radar kind of resume, um, top ten resume metrics, the predictive metrics aren't as sold on them. But they have some really good wins over Clemson, Virginia, Texas A&M, Michigan to a lesser lesser degree. Next comes Tennessee, who has wins over Wisconsin, Illinois, and only close losses to good teams. And one of the tougher schedules in the country. Marquette at number 10 has wins over Kansas and Illinois. I also only losses to quality team. Princeton, I've had up pretty high. They're at 11. Some of their good wins over Rutgers and Duquesne haven't quite aged as well as they could have, but they're still quadrant two wins, and they only have the loss to St. Joe's on the road. BYU is at 12. Nice win over San Diego State on their resume. Only the loss to Utah. This is another team we're going to see how they, how they do once once Big 12 play gets underway. Baylor at number 13 is one that I'm not sure they're going to stay there uh, in the coming rankings. They only have wins over Auburn and Florida and got and have the losses to Duke and Michigan State. Most of their wins are in the quadrant in the two white white hand, right quadrants in, in the uh, quadrant system three and four. Wisconsin is at 14, quality win over uh, Virginia and Marquette. 15 is Illinois, just ahead of FAU, which happens to be Illinois' best win. Also recently beat Missouri. We're going to find out how they do without their best player, Terrence Shannon Jr., who there's a lot of questions because of the... uh, recent suspension over the rape allegations if if he's going to be back or not this season. If he's not, they're going to get a lot more weight rate, weight on how they do without him than they did before him. So they're going to have to prove that they can still win games against good teams if they're going to be an NCAA tournament team. Certainly, they're going to be a high-seeded team. 
Florida Atlantic is next. Only the loss to Bryant is what's keeping them from being higher. Also lost Illinois, but a huge win in Las Vegas um, over last weekend against uh, Arizona. Also beat Texas A&M, Butler on neutral courts, too. Texas A&M next. Beat Ohio State. Have some other good wins. No bad losses. Played a really good schedule. Grand Canyon at 18 with three quadru- with three quadrant one wins. One over San Diego State, beat Liberty, and only the loss to South Carolina. Virginia is next. Got a couple good wins in there, but they're going to have to show that they can be a little, little bit better offensively if they're going to stay in these rankings. Colorado State is next. Big win over Creighton earlier in the season. Only the loss to uh, St. Mary's. They also have wins over Colorado and Washington. Nevada is next at 21 with big wins over TCU and Washington on the road. Creighton is next. This is one of those teams that the resume doesn't quite support a top 10, top 15 predictive ranking. Um, they have the loss to UNLV, the, the blowout loss to Colorado State, and really only wins over Iowa and Alabama. Next in North Carolina, good win over Tennessee, played Kentucky tough on the road, got some good games coming up. We'll see how that turns out. Utah, the big win over BYU, handled uh, Colorado, Washington last night, and then Ole Miss is 25. Good win over Memphis, some some other decent wins as well. But they've been hurt by the fact, at least in their predictive metrics, by not blowing out inferior opponents. The only team teams that I looked at seriously outside that just missed were Oklahoma, Kentucky, Utah State, Washington, and Dayton. I can say that Washington would probably be moving into the top 25 this coming week had they won yesterday, but they came up just short. So that's where we're at right now. Quick question for you. Um, Illinois and FAU. Do you have Illinois ahead of FAU right now just because of the head-to-head? Yes. It it had a lot to do with it. Plus, I mean, Florida Atlantic has the loss to Bryant, and Illinois doesn't have a loss anywhere like that. So when I, term, when I went over them, I just couldn't get FAU past Illinois. Although, with the injury to Terrence Shannon Jr., that might change. Yeah, I'll be dropping them until I see how they look, which they looked pretty good last night against Fairleigh Dickinson. So at least they were able to do well against an inferior opponent last night. I was just curious with the Illinois FAU thing because we get a lot of comments about head-to-head results, and that's the perfect example of when they come into play for me. So I was just curious if that was what had come into play with you as well. If there's two teams where it's like, I don't know, it's really close, and they happen to play each other, or they played a common opponent with each other and there's a differing result, then that's kind of where I go. Cool. Same here. So I was just curious. We get, Like I said, we get lots of questions about that, so I wanted to make sure we addressed it. All right, so Zach, you've got Houston, Iowa State, Baylor, UConn, Duke, Arizona, TCU, BYU, Alabama, Pittsburgh at 10, Purdue, New Mexico, Auburn, Kansas, Illinois, Kentucky, Oklahoma, Michigan State, Tennessee, St. John's at 20, Gonzaga, Marquette, Cincinnati, North Carolina, and Mississippi State. 
I'll let you take over and explain how you get there. So I use the predictive model that I mentioned in my introduction to match up each team against all the other uh, Division One teams twice. Um, so each team gets to be the home team, and each team gets to be the away team. And then I calculate each team's win percentage, and then that becomes its power rating. And from there, it's just a matter of you know sorting out like who has the highest win percentage, and and ranking them in order. Um, I want to say I'm playing the long game. Uh, this is intended to be predictive based off what has already taken place. Um, I'm not going to go into like all the ins and outs of my model um, on, on this episode. Um, I think we're planning on doing a longer episode um, specifically on my model, um, but you can check out uh, Zabitry. That's Z-A-B-B-O-T-T-R-Y analytics.substack.com um, I've got you know some resources just kind of explaining what my model is um, what it measures and um, and why um, and yeah you can you can find that on that website um, but there are a couple things I want to mention um, I don't take strength of schedule into consideration instead i use the error of both the team and the opponent so what this does is teams will be punished for not matching the model's expectation of how they're supposed to do um so for example if um kansas and illinois were to play uh, and Illinois is projected to win by uh, 10 and they only win by uh, and they only win by five. That's going to hurt them later on. Um, it's also going to reward teams for exceeding the model's expectations. Um, case in point here is going to be Iowa State. Um, but in th- in theory, um, this is supposed to kind of provide some balance. Like, if a bad team is playing a bad schedule and they're not performing to expectations, they're going to be punished for that. Um, whereas, if a good team is playing a good schedule where, you know, they're predicted to kind of they're in a lot of like 50 50 games and they come out on top of a lot of those games, especially by large margins, it's going to reward them for that. Um, But yeah, like I said, we still end up with teams like Iowa state, Texas Christian and Pittsburgh higher than most other models have them. Um, So what I plan to do in the future, um, just as a um, kind of stopgap method is, to show um, the breakdown of a team's errors so users can see, like, um, okay, this is who Iowa State is overperforming against, and this is who they're underperforming against. Um, So you can kind of, 
you can use that to make your own adjustments to my model. Um, I will say um, I went through and compared my top 25 to Ken Palm and Bart Torvik and 16 out of 25 of my top 25 feature in both Ken Palm and Bart Torvik. And we agree on the number one team. And a lot of teams are within four or five spots. Uh, the last thing I want to mention here too is um, the difference between, so it's going to be 720 games that this is out of. The difference between Houston and Purdue is 36 games. Um, so just 5% of all teams. And then especially down in like the 10 to 25 range, there's really only a handful of games separating each of them. So things are a lot closer um, than, than maybe uh, Ken Palm or, or Bart Torvik would, would have them. There's not as much difference between you know, five and 10 and 10 and 25 and so on. So you have a lot of movement like week to week with different results, like especially like Iowa State, as they start playing tougher opponents, they'll probably have a lot more movement depending on playing actual opponents and stuff like that. Yeah, unless they... Or potentially not probably. Yeah, unless they uh, unless they win a lot of them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of the thing is like strength of schedule... If you if you're Iowa State and you played a really like easy schedule that you just breeze through, um, you, it's the Big Twelve. It's gonna catch up to you. Um, so we'll see. Um, the other thing is, New Mexico is a team that probably isn't. Um, it's not on a lot of um, model and and uh, like human ranking systems. But last year, um, I did something kind of similar, and I had Florida Atlantic at number six right before the NCAA tournament, and obviously they made that Final Four run. So I'm kind of hoping that something similar happens with New Mexico. It the model is going to reward mid and low majors more if they play if if they completely dominate their schedule um i mean they scheduled they had a good schedule they deserve to be recognized for what they've done this year because they're just now getting fully healthy as well so uh, yeah i I think they're a good team i've had them top of the mountain west since before the start of the season so i'm really yeah, I'm hoping their their success continues. Um, we'll move into some bracketology now. Um, I'm not going to get too deep into my bracket yet. Um, mostly, it's predictive. Like it's a sixty forty split predictive right now. It's not super like concrete. There's a ton of movement. Um, I have brackets coming out every Monday, so I'll have one New Year's Day for everybody. So there will be some movement um, in February as well when we start really getting into the push to March. I'll have Monday and Friday edits. And then, of course, Champions Week, I go to daily updates where I'm updating in real time basically every day. Um, 
I, like I said earlier, I may have some podcast episodes where I just hop on for 15 minutes and give you all a breakdown of what I'm looking at in my bracket. I haven't completely ironed all of that out yet, but that's something to keep an eye on. Um, there's not a whole lot of teams that I put into the bubble watch yet because it's so early in the season, but I did put some, some teams that people asked about. Um, Michigan State, I know, was one. Um, the issue with them is that they're 7-5. and five. The, the resume metrics at the moment don't yet support an NCAA tournament team. Um, the predictive ones could, and the win over Baylor is certainly a good step, but they're going to need a lot more uh, probably since they've played a good schedule, they can probably get away with getting in with, with if they finish the season with 19 wins. Certainly they will if they fin- if they get 20. So if they're seven and five, you got to figure they got to go have to go have to win another 12 or 13 games before the season ends. So what I'll typically do is I'll take a team, look at their remaining schedule, See see what where the quality games are. See where the non quality games are, and give an idea of what of how many more wins they need to end the season, to the the rest of the way, for them to become a lock. When we say the word lock, that means what it what it is. We that there's a zero percent chance, even if they lost the remaining games, that they would miss the NCAA, NCAA tournament. And usually, we want that team to be above the first four, because when you're in the first four, there's always the danger of somebody stealing a bid and then knocking you out. So that's why we, we use the term lock because there's we don't see a chance that the team misses. So we, we try to be very, very cautious in saying a team is a lock. Um, so Michigan State's going to have to play well the rest of the season to get into the NCAA tournament. Um. St. Mary's was another team that I think people have asked about. And, you know, they've gotten a couple of decent wins recently, but the early losses and with the WCC not being as good as it normally is, they're going to have to probably go the rest of the season, maybe only losing one at most, two more regular season games, and then losing in the WCC tournament. I think one team to focus on after – Last night with Gonzaga losing to San Diego State at home, it's been a long time since we've used the word Gonzaga and serious bubble t- bubble team in a, probably a good eight eight or nine years, and they don't have it. They don't, their best wins are USC, Syracuse, and UCLA, and none of those three teams are really that close to being in the tournament right now. They do play Kentucky in February. If they don't win that game, they might only be able to lose once or in the in the WCC either to either to uh, San Francisco or St. Mary's. On Monday, I don't think that Gonzaga is going to be in my bracket at all. Um, I think that last night will probably have pushed them out. Their nets in the mid fifties now. It is, um, and that's just it's going to be hard to keep them in. Uh, and that Kentucky game is at Rupp. It is. So I feel like that's going to be really important because beating Kentucky and Gonzaga would be a lot better, or in Washington would be a lot easier than beating them at Rock. Um, we were asked about Creighton, too. Um, they, they, they should be fine. Um, as I said earlier, their, their resume metrics don't really match up to their predictives, but 
I think, you know, a, a, nine, a 21 season will be fine for them, which they have more than enough talent to get. But I just put them on the bubble because they just have, they need, they obviously need to get more wins, which I'm sure they will. Yeah. And I think right now, basically with like how you do your bubble watch, basically everybody's in the bubble. Um, there might be a couple teams that are actually like close to near locks. Nobody's locked right now, at least from my standpoint. Um, Purdue, but, Purdue, Arizona, Kansas, those are the teams that I'm thinking about for near lock right now. Yeah. And any team in the Pac-12 right now not named Arizona and Utah has a ton of work to do to make the NCAA tournament. Like, And when I say a ton, we're talking winning about three-quarters of their games, and that's not hyperbole. There, are, There's not a lot of good quadrant one opportunities to get. It's the Arizona games, Utah games. When you go and play, you know, Colorado, Washington, Washington State, Oregon, that's it. Yeah, the Pac-12's interesting this year. They're definitely underperforming compared to what they were expected. Um, This being the last year, there were some high hopes for teams like Colorado and USC and UCLA, and none of them are just really doing anything. Um, Utah's been a pleasant surprise for sure. Um, I had them, I think, sixth or seventh in the Pac-12 coming into the year. They've overperformed for sure. And then Washington kind of stepping up into at least not a pushover has really should really help. Um, teams like Oregon and Washington are going to have to start just like Michael said, probably three fourths of their games. You can't lose to some of these teams like Arizona State and Stanford and Cal and expect to make the tournament just not going to happen yeah Zach do you have any questions about bracketology I know you don't do as much formal bracketology because you have your model you focus on but didn't know if you had any um yeah well I don't really do any of my own stuff um I I passively understand kind of how the bracket is seated um but I that stuff is kind of uh, just not in my wheelhouse, but I did want to ask you guys um, about the net. Um, as I understand it, it still incorporates some of the old RPI where like, you know, it's 25% of your, your team's record, 50% of your opponent's record, and then 25% of your opponent's opponent's record. Um, is that is that correct? Is that at least part of the the system i think that it has aspects that are similar to the rpi um it is not released publicly like the rpi was that was the fun thing about the rpi is you could manipulate it because you knew what you needed to do so you could pick out teams that were going to do really well in their conference but we're going to be 300s in kimpom um the net's kind of taken some of that away because there's some ambiguity still um Teams like Iowa State, TCU, Cincinnati have found a way to kind of game the system, though, this year. Um, So I'll be interested to see what comes of that and how they look in the Big 12. Um, I'm not a huge proponent of the net being released this early. We just it's a small sample size in general for college basketball, but it's extra small right now. And some of these teams like Cincinnati has two quality games and they lost both of them. Like, how should they be, like, ranked and, like, looked at? Same thing, Iowa State and TCU haven't really played anybody at all. Um, it's just 
we need teams to actually play good opponents to get a good feel for the net, in my opinion. Now, where it hurts these teams is that because they don't have to, they don't have quality win, they're gonna have to get them in league play. And for teams like TCU, Iowa State, you know, Texas, they're gonna have to go nine and nine, ten and eight for you know, to secure a bid. And for teams, especially like Iowa State, who we know has a pretty good home court advantage at home, but when they go on the road, they are a completely different team. And they may need to win a road game at some point to be an NCAA tournament team. Also, where where so the the net kind of has a whole different whole different factor. It does have the strength of schedule. It's got a scoring margin, which they say is capped at ten, but you can manipulate it because there's no there's no um, cap on offensive and defensive efficiency. So if you're if you're averaging ninety points a game in these games against these lower tier teams and they're averaging fifty some, it's going to boost your efficiency rankings. So that's how they're able to kind of game it in a way. Mm. That being said, if you don't blow your teams out, it hurts. Like Memphis recently played Vanderbilt and won by two, and that's why they're still sitting. I think in the, what is it, the mid thirties of the net? Yeah. Um. Even you take Nebraska. Last night they were playing South Carolina State, who was ranked 330 in the net. At one point in the game, they were leading it by nearly 50 points, but gave up a 26 to 6 run to end the game and won by, and we're going to say only 29. But when you're playing a team that's ranked 330 in the net, you end up having to win by 40 and 50 points. And they don't have some kind of thing where at some point, you know, a team is clearly won and they're up by a big margin we're going to cut off the, the numbers at this point. It just keeps going. So if your 50-point lead becomes 20, it, it's not going to look like you beat a team, you were winning by 50. It's going to look like, well, you won by 20 against a 300-some-odd team. So I don't think they moved once. I, I think they may have even dropped for that. Nobody really knows exactly how the committee values the net or values all these different metrics. So you have to increase and be as good as possible at all of them. Um, so that's now, the hard it, part. In conference play, when you're playing Q1 and Q2 games, you may want to have your games be a little closer in a way to help keep those opponents in that respective quadrant. And also, since both Q1 and Q2 have an A and a B, there's dividing lines for that too. Yeah. And that becomes especially true. Like the Mountain West is a great example of that. Um, they, last year, I remember they would knock teams, like New Mexico would beat, uh, I don't know, Utah State, and would knock Utah State out of the quad one, but then Utah State would win and bounce back up. And they did that all year, and it, I mean, it hurts your metrics if you beat somebody too bad. So it's, there's definitely a fine line in conference play. And that comes into play, I think, a lot more for the mid-majors, like Mountain West, AAC, and those teams that are trying to get a second or a third bid in the tournament this year. Mountain West shouldn't have too many issues getting at least at least three bids next year. I, they're at least a three bid. I they've got a path for five, but maybe six. Yeah, they're more of a power conference, so that was a bad. I used them because I remember last year it was hard to keep track of who was quad one and who was quad two at that point. Yeah, but they're they're closer to a power conference than they are the AAC or the A ten or anything like that. It's crazy how BYU leaving the WCC has changed the, that conference's like trajectory. Like 
if BYU was where they are now and still in the WCC, we'd be talking about, hey, you know, Gonzaga, St. Mary's, BYU could be a three-bit league. Maybe San Francisco gets gets the AQ or Santa Clara, and they're a four-bit league. Instead, we're talking about is the only team that's gonna that's gonna get in be the AQ in the league? Yeah, and part of that's just Gonzaga being bad, and St. Mary's is really playing down this year. They're not athletic, um, and I think that's really hurt the conference as a whole because we expected St. Mary's to honestly they were picked to win the conference. Like they, they still were might expected to be a lot better. I mean, they still might, but they weren't expected to win the conference because they were just the better of the bad teams. They were expected to win because they were supposed to be good. I think what's happened with Gonzaga is we really underestimated the, the loss of Drew Timmy. He, he created so much, you know, inside and garnered so much attention. He's not there. And Iki, he's not bad, obviously, but he's not Drew Timmy. And the shooters from the outside, they're shooting 32% from, from the three-point line. And especially against good teams, that just doesn't get it done in this day and age. Yeah, they just, I don't know. I, EK, he is, was a great addition. They needed somebody big like that. But he seems to foul a lot. I haven't watched a ton of Gonzaga minutes, but I feel like he's fouling a lot. I know last night he had a flagrant foul where he got beat and just grabbed somebody. Like, those things can't happen. It's like the discipline stuff almost, too. And that came out last night. One of their younger guys got a technical for pushing after the play. And, like, those two examples are four to six-point swings, depending on what happens with that possession. Like And personal fouls. Yes. Yeah, they're fouling a ton as well. Yeah. Zach, we kind of went off the rails there a little bit, but did we answer your questions about the net? Yeah, yeah, you guys did. Thanks for that. Uh, Anytime. Really informative. I, will say, I said at the top that there isn't much that, so at least so far, that would change the top 25. Um, Virginia is doing their very best to change that. What's the score? 41-24 <laughs> Notre Dame at the half. What? Okay, so those are the kinds of results we were talking about in the Pac-12. Same thing for the ACC. You can't lose to Notre Dame in Louisville. That's just – those are things you can't do. Uh, Virginia's lack of an offense is going to hurt them. I have a feeling. It, it has to. I mean, we used to joke about Tennessee. We joke in our group message all the time about Tennessee. Um, Tennessee is no longer the butt of those jokes. It's turning to Virginia not being able to score. It's always been Virginia not being able to score. Yeah, their defense has always carried them. It's never – well, and I guess they they have been good – They've been a good shooting team. They've just been really, really slow about it. Right. Yeah. And they've been athletic. Like, they're good teams. I saw – I don't remember which one of the big ESPN guys it was, but they were talking about how Virginia was athletic when they would have these great teams. They're not athletic this year, and it's killing them because their defense, like, can't carry as much without the athleticism. And the way they play, you know, we saw this in the NCAA tournament when they lost to UMBC. When they get far behind, the way they play, it makes it really hard for them to, you know, come back from big deficits. Yeah. And Notre Dame is 237 in the net coming in today. They're not quite Louisville bad, but they're darn close. Yeah. Well, in Notre Dame, I could be wrong, but they tend to get hot from three. I've watched a couple of their games this year where they went streaky and then they went ice cold. 
So it's possible I don't I'm not watching the game. Obviously, they could be hot from three and just shooting well, um, or it could be you know, Virginia is just bad. So I guess we'll find out here in a little also, bit. <laughs> also, Florida State down double digits at home to Lipscomb at the half. Florida State's been playing these games all year. They yeah. they can't win them all. No. I've, there's been several games that we've talked about that they've been down 10, 12 points, and you just can't do that. No. All right. Let's get into some Q&As. Um, so I'll start with uh, JDR Bracketology. He had three questions for us. Um, the first one was, how do you balance bracketing this early when evaluating both the resumes and predictive metrics? Um so I'll keep this quick. We kind of touched on it. I'm at a 60-40 split right now, 60% resume, 40% predictive. This will keep backing off throughout the year. Um, I like to keep the predictive metrics in because there's a reason that we use Ken Palm and Bart Tornick. Like, they're good. They're accurate. That's why they're on team sheets. So I keep those in. They'll move down to between 20 and 30% by March, and that'll be where we're at. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at now. Um, I started at a 50-50 split in December, or yeah, December, and I've moved another 10% towards resumes this month. Um, his second question, how are we out evaluating Iowa State? We kind of touched on this, but uh, Zach, do you want to start since you've got them at two, or your model has them at two? I'll let you start. Yeah, so um, Iowa State, I kind of already covered um, when when we did our top twenty fives, but um, basically, what is um, pushing Iowa State up is um, they are they've played a, a generally poor schedule. Um, they did play in an MTE um, where they, they beat Virginia Commonwealth and then lost to Virginia Tech and Texas A&M. I don't think those will be seen as bad losses. We'll maybe see how those two teams um, perform in conference play. But um, what has happened with Iowa State is they've run up the score on a lot of their, their really bad opponents. Um, and that's reflecting in their metrics. And it's also um, reflecting in the error then, um, like I talked about. So they're, they're getting bonus points for just crushing, you know, Wisconsin, Green Bay, and um, Idaho State and, and some of those other teams. Um if there are maybe like one or two signals that maybe this team could, could be legit. Um, they, they did dominate Eastern Illinois, which is a team Kansas really struggled with. Um, and they beat Iowa by 25. Um, I know, you know, those results aren't really going to, move the needle it's not going to convince too many people but i think um it, it does kind of signal that they don't just beat up you know some of the teams i already mentioned they can perform um like i said i'll kind of 
release a breakdown of the errors and and you will see that like they're they're way overperforming against like the the quad four and quad three opponents and then they're underperforming against their their quad two and quad one opponents um and yeah um that that's kind of why they're they're so high Mike, what do you hear, Dad? So, for Iowa State, I did put them on my bubble watch page since we had a question about them. Um, they, they only have the wins over Iowa that Zach mentioned and VCU. Those are their two best wins. And they, as you mentioned, they have the losses to Virginia Tech. And um, who was the other one you mentioned? Texas A&M. Right. Those are their only games of note, of note that really matter at this point. Um Everything else, I think, was quadrant four. So they're going to need another 10-11 win the rest of the way to secure a bid for, for sure. Um, there's a few games that, in the Big 12 that are not quadrant one or quadrant two, which is different than last year. Um, West Virginia, is, given all the offseason issues that they have, I don't think it's a huge surprise that they're struggling. Uh, I don't know how much expectation there were for Oklahoma State, but they've certainly been below what, what they normally have been recent years. Um, and even Kansas State, you know, they've got a decent record, but a lot of close games with Port with uh, inferior opponents, and they're not even in the top 75 of the net. So there are going to be games this year, it looks like, that are not quadrant one or two games. And Iowa State's going to have to win them. And they're also going to have to win some games against quadrant one and quadrant two opportunities, which they're going to have plenty of, but they're going to need to take advantage of. So they're, like I said, they're going to need another 10 or 11 wins to make the tournament from here on out. Yeah. Um, completely agree. I, my comparison for them is Texas tech from last year. They played similar schedules like Texas tech didn't play anybody got into big 12 play and just got uh, the good thing. Like you said, they, Iowa State has the lower end of the Big 12 that they can beat up with them. They just they have to prove that they're not part of that bottom of the conference. Um, they've been underperforming, like Zach said, to their Quadrant 1 and Quadrant 2 games compared to their Quadrant 3 and Quadrant 4. So they need to prove that they can get out of that bottom of the conference and actually compete this year. Um, I'm evaluating them right now. They're a 7 seed. I don't know what to do with them. Their metrics look great, but like we've talked about, they're just they're a question mark at this point. Aren't their resume metrics like in the fifties or something? Yeah. 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 So their predictives are high, their resumes are low. Um, I'm leaning resume at this point. Um, especially as I incorporate more resume into my bracket, they are gonna keep falling. And um, uh, you know, Iowa, one of their better non conference wins at the moment at least, they don't look anywhere close to a tournament team. Yeah, I was. They're ten plus teams out of my bracket right now, so they're not even in the conversation of being a bubble team at this point. Right. Um, all right. So we'll move on. This is a fun question: um, Is Kentucky the best team in the country based on the eye test? Now that they're at full strength, this again came from JBR Bracketology. Um, we've spent a lot of time discussing Kentucky in group messages and stuff. Um, my opinion: I'm high on Kentucky. I like what they have. Their pieces are there. Um, they have the highest ceiling of any team in the country. 
if they click, they're the best team in the country from what I've seen. Um, they've done really good. I think we talked about this earlier um, at being the best team when they've played these big nationally televised games. Um, the issue is they haven't been healthy. They aren't consistent. So I don't know what to make of Kentucky right now. They are my pick to win the SEC. I have them at four in my AP poll. Um, they don't have a resume to back up a good C-Jet, but I expect them to get there. Um, they're not my pick to win the national championship, but they're a final four pick for me right now. I think for me, for Kentucky, I think, you know, I test wise, you know, when they're healthy, certainly they're a top 25 team. Whether or not they're a top five or 10 team, I think we need to see more of. And because of the inconsistency, it does make it difficult for them to win, you know, six, you know, four straight games, four straight games in March, let alone six. So, you know, I could certainly see them being a Sweet 16 team, but I need to see more before saying they're a Final Four team or that, any further than that. So I'm expecting them, they're a bunch of freshmen. Uh, I'm expecting them to kind of peak and continue to grow, which is why I have them as a Final Four team. If I was saying right now, they're not a Final Four team, but I expect them to be there. I'll put it that way. So, Zach, what are your thoughts? <clears throat> I have... Well, okay, I did watch some of the Kentucky-Louisville game. Um, I'm sorry. Which, which was, yeah, it was painful. Um, <laughs> I, I I really like Louisville, um, and I was really hoping that, that Kenny Payne would work out. Um, I kind of I bought into some of the hype around him. Um, and, yeah, just as a quick comment, I, I still think, you know, he should be given, you know, till the end of the season – to um, at least see where where things where things go, um, and then you know they can reevaluate in the off season. But um, yeah, Kentucky did look really good against Louisville. Um, outside of that, I haven't really watched them, um, so I don't have much of an eye test. Um, what I will ask uh, Hunter. You you mentioned earlier you had uh, Kentucky at uh, ninth, and then uh, in your in your bracket you have them as a six seed. Yeah, can you maybe explain the difference between your ranking and your bracket? I know you're going for more of like an AP style, but like what what leads you to go with Kentucky at nine in your ranking and then a six seed in your bracket? So I have them as a as four on oh, my okay. AP poll. Um, so my AP poll, I don't cut it down and start from scratch every week. I build each week. So Kentucky nice. was an eight um, coming into last week, and then they beat. I mean, they beat Louisville bad. They beat UNC recently, and then they beat um, Penn. All were in, included in my like rankings. They haven't played a ton of games recently, but they've looked good when they've done it. UNC is not a pushover. They went down to Atlanta and beat them. They beat Penn at and like in Philly. So they've been growing since that UNC Wilmington loss. I had them like 18th. They beat Penn. A bunch of teams ahead of them lost. So they got lucky and they moved up without playing a game. I mean, they've played one, two, three, four games now this month. Five games, sorry. Um, last night they beat Illinois State 96 to 70. 
they continue to grow, but they have one Q1 win. They have two Q2 wins, and one of them was a struggle against a good St. Joseph's team. And I'm not convinced that Miami's any good, so that big 20-point blowout doesn't necessarily matter. So I need to see them put a resume together before I really give them the boost that they're wanting. I know UK fans don't agree. I know some bracketologists don't agree. But I want to see them actually go out and beat like Florida and Texas A&M in the SEC before I move them up. I agree on that. I'm not sleeping on them. Just I keep everything unbiased. And that's why everything's done blind. I don't know which teams I'm putting where until I unblind them at the end of my rankings. One thing that I did with my rankings is I didn't start it until after the first week of this game. I was trying to do my best to eliminate preseason bias as much as possible. Yeah. So I actually tore mine down um, about week four. I had been using my projected seed list top 25, and then I switched from that to like the traditional AP style. Um, with that, UK has just benefited from that and continued to grow. Um Honestly, if I was still doing my seed list, they wouldn't be anywhere near. Right. Do you have something, Zach? Yeah, so that's that's one of the things that like I kind of chuckle at a little bit every time like we post these, and then people like look at my profile and they find that like I'm a I'm a Tennessee student, um, or like you know I used to wear a Michigan hat on my on my Twitter profile, and like so they'll like point out like oh you're a you're a Michigan fan no wonder you have this team so low or you're a Tennessee fan and it's just like no it doesn't have anything to do with it doesn't have anything to do with my personal bias it's just this is what the data is telling me this this team this team is ranked and yeah it just it leads to some funny conversations I think I agree that's a great point um I mean I gave my favorite team Michael and Zach gave their favorite team at the beginning of this episode. It's not that we're biased in any way. Like I said, I started this to see if my team was going to make it. I didn't immediately put them in, but I started doing bracketology because of that. We're all objective. We're not out here to tell you your team sucks or our team's better. We're out here to just give our opinions on it. So please like, make sure you understand that this is an objective like viewpoint. These aren't subjective where we're using our biases or anything like that. And right, yeah. a lot, I've gotten some questions about me having Illinois too low, and I, li- I live in Illinois. Yeah. So we're not out to tell you your favorite team sucks, I promise. Not at all. All right, all right. we'll move on to AJ Armento03 had a couple questions. Um, he wanted to know what record we think MSU has to end um, the season with to get into the tournament. We've touched on Michigan State already. I know Zach talked a good a little bit about them. Um, I think they could lose maybe five, maybe six games. Um, if you're going to make me put a number on it, I'll say 20 wins gets them in. Um, 19 may put them in Dayton, and it may also just knock them all the way out. Uh, a lot of that's going to depend on what happens today versus Indiana State. That's a sneaky big game for the Spartans. Indiana State's good, and I wouldn't be shocked at all to see Indiana State go in there and give Michigan State some trouble. Yeah, they can probably afford what if we're saying they're seven and five now, and they got to get to nineteen and twelve or twenty and eleven. Because we try to think of like 
what can this team get to without having to worry about their, their conference tournament? Because we've seen in recent years that the committee, unless you win the conference tournament or take a really bad loss in it, doesn't really care. Yes. So you want to put yourself in a position where you get to Big Ten tournament and you're in for sure. So that's going to take some kind of 19 and 12, 20 and 11 record. They're 7 and 5 now. So that means they have 19 games left. So they got to win 12 to 13 of them. Yeah. Um, so I went through, uh, I aggregated, uh, my, my models, um, mine, Ken Palm, uh, the BPI, uh, and Bart Torvik's, uh, projected win percentages for the rest of their schedule. Um, and based on the aggregation of that, Michigan state has four losses the rest of the way. They're all quad one um so that would leave them at five and eight in quad one eight and one in quad two five and oh in quad three and four and oh in quad four obviously some of that is subject to change um right now like michigan is a um quad one uh road game but i don't i don't think that'll hold up after last night um so i think they have some room for error um they could maybe um they could maybe pick up an extra quad one win and maybe drop a couple quad two like the road game against maryland um is currently a quad two um and and that just might be a a difficult place for for them to win um so yeah they they have a little bit of margin for error um but yeah the sort of the metrics consensus um right now is um they would finish the season at 22 and 9 and i think that <clears throat> that would that would put them in the tournament that would they're a single digit seed at that point yeah yeah opinion. that would put them pretty firmly in Easily, probably a six or seven seed, depending on who the who the quad one wins are. Yeah, and I think that quad two record that you mentioned is really important because Utah State last year, I believe it was Utah State, had the rough quad one record where they didn't have a ton of Q one games, but they were like ten or eleven and one in Q two. Like it matters. The committee's proven that racking up those wins is a lot better than doing what Texas has done, where they have ten Q four wins at this point. Right. All right, so um, second question from AJ. Um, what school do you think is most likely to win the tournament this year? Um, Zach, do you want to start us off? Sure. Um, so I have Houston winning it right now. Um, as of right now, um, based on the, the four models that I mentioned above, they're projected to win out. Um, they would I don't know how many undefeated teams we've had entering the, the NCAA tournament, but certainly the last um, three or four, um, uh, Kentucky, Gonzaga, Wichita State, nowhere near the um, the level of, of uh, opponent strength that Houston would face in conference. Um, so they, they would probably get the number one overall seed 
Um, and I think um, metrics wise, at least, I think this is the best team in the country. Um, it, it is the NCAA tournament. Things things get wonky, but I, I think yeah, for right now, Houston is is my pick. Yeah, I saw Houston play live. They they found a way to win um, when they played Xavier up here. Um, pro- like they true road game, it was a crazy environment. They did not look great, but they found a way to win, and I think that's going to be a big thing for them. I don't know that they'll go undefeated, but um, they should win some games in the Big Twelve, and they're my pick for the Big Twelve champ right now over Kansas. Sorry, Kansas fans. I also pick Houston too because. Purdue, who knows what's going to happen in March. Um, there's got to be a lot of voices that are going to be in, in their head entering the tournament, especially what's happened after you know losing to St. Peter's and then to Fairleigh Dickinson last year. Um, Kansas, I think we've touched on it. While they have one of the top couple resumes in the country, they just haven't looked like a top five team. Um, they've played a lot of close games against inferior opponents, and it's hard to see them going through six games and winning them all, but yeah. it just seems to be pretty stable, both on offense and defense. And, you know, the Texas A&M win, I thought really kind of uh, not bolstered their ranking, but I think it kind of justified it more yeah. because I think Texas A&M is pretty good. And they're, they're one of the dark horses to win the uh, SEC at this point. Yeah. They were my preseason pick to win the SEC. Um, all right, so my pick, if if they're healthy, I'll go ahead and pick UConn to win back-to-back. If they're not healthy, I'm not picking them. I don't think they'll win the Big East if they don't get healthy. I'm worried about Klingon. It started with an ankle injury, and now it's a foot injury, I believe. So that's got a lot of concern. Uh, so I'll just say UConn doesn't get healthy enough. Um, I'll take Purdue. All of the voices in their heads, I get it. It's going to be difficult. I like Edie, I don't like Edie, but he plays a dominant style of basketball and their shooters seem to be really just coming around this year. So I think they've got a good shot to do it. I think, I think Purdue wins if they only run into power six teams, they will be any power six team in the field. Um, Yes. It depends on what the rest do too. And I'm not saying that Edie is just a foul line dependent person, but I watched him play and he dominated he's dominated several teams this year just by getting to the free throw line. Like if they're going to take 40 and 50 free throws, they're going to win. But if the refs swallow their whistle, like they've been known to do in the tournament, they might struggle a little bit more. Zach's got a good point about the whole, you know, power 16. You're kind of, you don't know what you're going to get with the, how they guard ED. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's a big question mark for a lot of these teams that don't play dominant centers night in, night out. Um, So that is, yeah, that's very true. See, I just, I yeah, I think power six teams try to play Edie like a normal center. You know, you know, put a body on him, try to keep him away from the basket. Yeah, but, like a, my best is better than your best. Go beat yeah, it. Yeah, but you've he's played like thirty different centers, or no, it's more than that. It's probably like fifty different centers. They none of them have shown any ability to stop him, either you get whistled for a foul or he just shoots over you. Yeah. And I just, I think the strategy is, is all wrong. Um, and I, I think mid majors, um, 
or even low majors like St. Peter's and Fairleigh Dickinson, they aren't going to play that game. And and that's where Purdue has struggled. It's it's just a different style of basketball that Purdue isn't really used to seeing. Yeah. And Edie Edie doesn't Edie doesn't get as many touches as he normally does. And you have to be aggressive going to the basket, getting the ball inside, trying to get him in foul trouble. You can't be afraid of getting 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 your shot blocked. Um, the old adage of you know let's 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 have a have a center that comes out and shoots threes and you know make him pull away from the basket. That gets him away from the basket, but it doesn't draw fouls on him. Yeah, for sure. The best way to beat him is just to not let him play. <laughs> right. Exactly. He's a make him a non-factor. All right, so T3 Bracketology um, had a question. Favorite team you've watched a full game of this season that you think more people need to watch? Um, I'll start with mine. It's Memphis. Uh, I did not like Memphis last year. Didn't like interacting with their fans. Was kind of anti-Memphis, not going to lie. Just fans wanted to get personal real quick, and I didn't. I don't like that. Like, tell me I'm wrong, but don't get personal and come into my DMs. Um, that being said, I've watched several of their games. I like the style they play. Um, they're not getting the national attention they deserve. I don't think they're, they're in the twenties right now in the AP poll. They don't think they deserve to be higher than that. Um, David Jones is legit. He's an all American pick for me right now. Um, I think it's time to give Memphis some national recognition. And honestly, they probably deserve to be in a power conference. They're better than the AAC is right now. They deserve to get picked up in the next round of realignment. Please let that be like never. Um, I mean, I'm only I don't always see a lot of games because I get busy often. But uh, Vermont's always been a fun team to watch uh, over the years, and they were fun to watch when they played in Myrtle Beach against uh, St. Louis. Um, I think that Sword Team from the parking lot in 2005 was one of, was one of the more my more memorable, you know. NCAA tournament memories, which kind of got me more into it in the big, you know, when, and it happened to be the same year that Illinois was making the run to the championship game. So yeah, that was a big year. Yeah. Um, my answer is going to be a little bit of a cop out because I haven't watched too many of the more exciting mid majors. Um, I would say Arizona. I like the style of basketball that they play. Um, it's a lot pace-wise. Um, they they just get up and down the court, and um, they're they're a pretty good shooting team. They still play hard defensively, but it's it it just leaves the game a little bit more open. Um, and and I like that style. Yeah, the, he brought it from um, Tommy Lloyd brought it from Gonzaga down to Arizona, right. and it's very fun to watch. Yeah, the, for sure. The only concern I have with Arizona has been in at least especially last year, their tendency to play down to their competition. So far, that has not been an issue this year. We'll see how that goes as they go through the Pac twelve with, you know, a lot of games where you're playing Oregon State, Arizona State, and especially the games where you're playing teams that are looking for big wins like Washington, Washington State, Utah, Colorado, Oregon. Yeah, they're going to take a dumb loss at some point. Yeah. Chris Boyd, 82-74, had one more question. Um, If everything breaks right for Creighton, 
what's their ceiling in the NCAA tournament? Um, I'll start with my definition of ceiling and like breaks right and everything. Um, the best thing that could happen for Creighton is they stay healthy and they get healthy and they can get some like chemistry going. The loss of Nimhard really hurt them. Um, it didn't help Gonzaga either, shockingly. Um, but they just they struggled a lot without him this year. Um, they're still a really good team just to get to where they want to be in that top three of the um, Big East. I'm thinking 15 and five is their best case. That's, I mean, five losses. These aren't easy games to come play. Um, that And those would probably be Q1 road losses. You don't go out to Creighton and beat Creighton very often. Um, the loss to UNLV will likely drag them down for me. Um, I think that a three seed is probably their ceiling. Um, I see them in the 12 to 14 win range in Big East play, and then probably somewhere in the five to seven seed range come March. Yeah, I think with Creighton, um, they don't need to win a whole a lot of games in the Big East. Probably ten or eleven to be a tournament team. But as far as their ceiling, you know, a fourteen and five uh, record in the big the rest of the way in the Big East and winning the Big East tournament. 26 and 8 is going to probably push them right around the three line, depending on what else happens, maybe the two line. But I think, as uh, Hunter said, the, uh, the the loss to UNLV might keep them from being on the two line and relegate them to the three. Whether or not they actually perform that well and stay healthy, we'll have to see. Yeah, so like with um... – Houston and Michigan State, uh, I I sort of aggregated uh, four different models. And they have Creighton with six future losses, all of which are quad one, um, which would leave Creighton uh, five and eight in quad one, six and one in quad two, four and oh in quad three, and seven and oh in quad four. Um, I said that looks like a five or six seed to me, but I think it's probably more like a six or seven. Um, I think they could be an elite eight team. Um, obviously, yeah, the the tournament draw will matter. Um, I don't know if there's a, I don't know if there's a favorable matchup for them, but um, as of right now, I think their ceiling is elite eight. Um, but I think, um, they're probably more like a sweet 16. Um, and then the elite eight is just going to depend, uh, how, where they are relative to the one seed. Like if they're in that four and five, um, and they run into the one in the sweet 16, I think, yeah, that'll probably, that'll probably finish them off. Yeah. I think that's, Chris was asking like, about tournament draws and stuff. It's hard to give a tournament draw this far out just because there's still a lot of movement. Um, but they want to avoid that four or five. I mean, honestly, being a six would be better than being a four or a five, in my opinion, because yeah. some of those thir- 12, 13 seed teams are going to be good. And, I mean, you might, like, draw McNeese State or Indiana State or somebody, like, really, like, talented who may just go out and beat you. Yeah. Um, so I – they're going to be interesting. I think whoever ends up in those four or five area is going to have some tough matchups from the get go. And, and in Creighton's case, like we've seen them already this year and in previous years, 
struggle with playing with, you know, effort and desire each night out. Um, yeah. And the only way you can imagine them losing by 21 to Colorado State, not that Colorado State's a bad team, and then also use, lose to UNLV by 15 or 17 points. That just shouldn't happen. And it only takes one of those in the first round of the tournament to, to just, you know, stop a big run, to the, big run to the Elite Eight, Final Four, whatever it may be. Yeah. I think one other thing to to note too is I think the gap between the the one seeds and maybe the two seeds and everybody else is going to be a little bit larger this year. Like if you look at Ken Palm last year, the highest one seed was like 20, 29, like plus 29 for their efficiency margin this year. Um, both Houston and Purdue are plus 30 or higher yeah. for their efficiency margins. I, th- I think um, y- this is the year last year you could maybe get away with, you know, running into a one pretty early on, but this year it's going to be a lot more difficult to beat those one seeds. Yeah, I agree. The, I mean, Arizona didn't even drop from the one line for losing to FAU. I mean, there's definitely a gap right now. Um, be interesting to see what happens coming up here soon. Purdue and Arizona have dropped games in recent weeks, and I don't think I dropped either one more than a spot because yeah. the gap between, the, you know, Purdue, Arizona, Houston, Kansas, especially resume-wise, especially after UConn lost to Seton Hall, that only grew the gap. UConn was getting pretty close to that top four. Some people even had them in there, which yeah. I thought was somewhat justified. But – it is those top four. Then it's UConn, and then after that, it, there really is. Yeah, I I know I where I have James Madison, but I know where they wouldn't be seated there today anyway. Yeah, yeah. UConn, especially with Klingon being hurt, yeah. I can't move them up. And I watched Seton Hall come to Xavier and just get absolutely pummeled. I don't. I know that teams get hot, but UConn needed to find a way to win that game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, so Zach, we'll go through this question quick. Yeah, and we can spend some more time on it later. Um, but should men's college basketball go to twelve-minute quarters like the NBA? Uh, this came from Zach, so I think he wanted to bring it up. I'll let you start us off. Okay. Um, yeah. So I'm in favor of it, um, but I have um, kind of odd reasons for doing so. Um, I think forty minutes. Uh, doesn't leave a whole lot of data to work with once you start breaking a game down, like especially into like lineups and things like that. Um, You just, you know, you maybe only have like two or three lineups that you can evaluate how they played. Uh, I think having a little bit more data um, with a longer game would, would kind of help that Um, to help the game flow. Um, I think they would need to cut out media timeouts or at least reduce the number of them significantly and go to two team timeouts per half um, just to kind of keep, you know, I think a lot of people like the, the balance of halves where there aren't, there aren't as many interruptions like with quarters, but um, I think, uh, I think going to quarters would be would be kind of fun and um, give us a little bit more, a little bit more of a 
a little more data to work with um, in game. Yeah. That's that's fair. The data point would be nice. Um, so maybe if we went to 12 minute quarters and a TV timeout at like eight and four, and that's it instead of like how they did it previously, it might be okay. Um, what do you think, Michael? Yeah, I don't know that, that the whole, you know, it, they have, you know, 40 minute games because, you know, these are, these are college athletes and they're still kind of, you know, learning their conditioning and all that for if they go on to the NBA. But the quarters, I don't think it matters as much as so much as much as the media timeouts having what is it, four and a half, 16, 12, eight and four. I just yeah. think it disrupts the flow of the game too much. Yeah. Um, I, I think they could do what, do with just two, maybe have one at 16 and one at four. Um, and also you see a lot of coaches knowing the media timeout is coming and not calling timeouts when a team is on a run because they know the media timeout is coming. And the problem is you're waiting and waiting and waiting for a dead ball, and sometimes it doesn't always happen. I just had a couple things I wanted to do in the wrap-up um, that I thought would be fun to give to everybody. Um, I picked a couple games of the week. Um, I picked one for Tuesday, which was kind of like the weekday game. Um, New Mexico and Colorado State play Tuesday night. Um, that's a huge matchup in the MWC to get started. Um, we've talked about both those teams already. It's there should be lots of eyes on those. It's worth staying up for on Tuesday. Um, Friday, Illinois and Purdue play. Um, winner, that's my pick to win the Big Twelve, uh, the Big Ten. Sorry, um, I like Illinois, but I don't think they're at Purdue's level, uh, especially without uh, Shannon Jr. Um, Saturday, UNC and Clemson play. Um, getting into some ACC matchup. That's going to be my AQ probably. The winner of that will be my AQ pick for now. Um, and then Sunday, Michigan State and Northwestern play. Northwestern already beat Purdue. Um, be interested to see what happens to the Spartans there. They need that one, I think, to yeah. really help solidify their resume. Which one, uh, Michigan State or Northwestern? Uh, really both. Yeah. But, I mean, that's a big bubble game. Uh, yeah. Both of them are on my bubble right now. So I would say Michigan State needs it more than Northwestern, but they both really could use that win. Um, Cincinnati at, uh, BYU, I, I don't know that we'll really have any like major tournament implications, but I think it will just be the most watchable game in terms of flow. Uh, both teams are shooting really well and I don't think there will be, uh, too many turnovers or fouls to interrupt, to interrupt, um, kind of the pace of the game. So I just think, you know. Um, if you, if maybe you're just getting into basketball and, and you want to see like a good, a good matchup, um, the, yeah, it should be fun. It's the yeah. opening big 12 game for both of them too. Um, yeah. so that sh- it'll be really fun. Uh, Cincinnati needs it. It's on the road. Uh, BYU's got a little bit of a buffer, but Cincinnati should come into that pretty desperate for a big win. For sure. Uh, but Pittsburgh's hosting North Carolina. Right now, Pittsburgh's kind of in a 50-50 game with Syracuse. We'll see how that shakes out, but that's a home. It's a big opportunity for them. Maryland hosts Purdue on Tuesday also. Um, they could really, really use that game. Um, Wake Forest and Boston College, kind of a bubble game in the ACC. I don't, I don't think either team is really there yet, but they would push one of them, whoever wins, closer, yeah. I think. 
Um, Rutgers and Rutgers plays Ohio State on Wednesday. Um, Rutgers would probably be advised not to lose to uh, Stonehill as they are currently losing by two with about seven minutes left. Yeah. <laughs> that would be really bad. UNC Wilmington at Drexel is kind of a fun uh, CAA game uh, on on, uh, on Wednesday. So is Charleston and Hofstra. Yeah, State, um, CAA play getting kicked off here should be fun. Penn State, Michigan yeah. State, you can't lose to Penn State this year. Um, so those would be the ones I would kind of focus on. Butler plays UConn on Friday. Butler could yeah. certainly use that one. We also want to see UConn again play on the road without, is it a Cunning? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be interesting. I almost put that as my Friday game, but Illinois produced just a That's, bigger magnitude game. Yeah. Um, Saturday, Clemson, North Carolina. That's a big game in the Big East. Or not the Big East, ACC. Yeah. Seton Hall, they got Marquette at home. Um, they, they're going to need that one. So yeah. I think that's most of it, really. Okay. Um, so thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, sorry if it was rough. This is our first podcast. It's the first time we've any of us have really ever done or produced any of this kind of stuff. So feel not free to... Enough. Things are going for Virginia. 67 to 42 Notre Dame. <laughs> so, yeah, Virginia's not looking great right now. Um, but this is our first time doing a podcast. So, please, any feedback is welcome. Um, I'll have our email, uh, the NKY Bracketology at Gmail email, will be linked in the description. Feel free to DM us. Um, I'm getting ready to kind of branch into TikTok a little bit, I think. So some of these clips may be up on there. Um, I have an Instagram that'll be in the description as well. Um, We really appreciate you all taking the time to listen. All of our episodes won't be this long. This one, we just had a lot we wanted to cover uh, to kind of get everything started. So thanks for bearing with us with that. Um, Like I said, we're shooting Monday release um, for now, but that probably will change at some point. Uh, Right now we're on Spotify and Apple. We'll be moving hopefully to Amazon and a couple other platforms here soon. Uh, So thanks for joining in. Please subscribe and share it on any of your favorite social media places. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everyone.